This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property, what's happening locally. I'm going to bring you a few homes from around the country that are of the very interesting side of things and even one that's for sale in the UK which is pretty amazing. As well as that we're going to talk a little bit about the market and what's happening there and uh, if we have enough time we'll we'll move on to some of the things that are further down my list like uh, the increases in uh, interest rates and the changes uh, to do with the OCR and how that might affect you. But first of all, we'll go to some local news. Uh, Kainga Ora is paying $33.7 million for 50 Palmas North homes to tackle with the waitlist pressure. This by John Ogaluska in stuff.co.nz. The government housing provider is spending millions of dollars to buy the yet-to-be-built houses in Palmas North as it grapples with a waiting list that has grown more than 400% since 2017. Kaying Order has made a, group, a, a deal with Soho Group to purchase 50 homes at an upcoming development at 26 North Street, Palmerston North. Kaying Order Regional Director Graham Broderick said the deal worth just over or close to $34 million, I should say, close to, involved developing including two, three and four bedroom homes as well as a community space. And while plans are still at the concept stage, the development will likely mirror Soho's other work in Palmerston North, such as the Pioneer Highway housing complex. The housing register waitlist in Palmerston North has gone from 147 families in June 2018 to 762 in June of 2022. Oh, phone ringing there. That was unusual. Uh, normally have that on silent. I'll give myself a smack on the wrist. So really that uh, wait list has gone up uh, five times the size of what it used to be just four years ago. Uh, Graham Broderick said, We know that many whanau do not have a suitable place to live and this purchase is going to make all of the difference to many families. So just have to see, watch that space and where it goes. The homes are expected to be ready by the end of 2024. And this move goes on the back of Kaingaora buying a block of Levin land in October, which I was just there earlier today, uh, to build more homes in the Horofanua town. So I think it's really good. It's a way of being close to the city uh, while also uh, providing much-needed accommodation. Here's a few homes that you might like to purchase. I'll just quickly bring these to you. The first one is King Charles III's heritage-listed mansion in Hobsonville and it's been listed for sale. It's originally built for a pioneering ceramicist and now Crown-owned, heritage-listed Clark House has been in the hands of the New Zealand Defence Force for the past 72 years. It's all boarded up, but don't let it fool you. One of West Auckland's most significant architectural buildings is listed for the first time in 72 years, and it has an illustrious history. Clark House, known as Naroma, was officially owned by the Crown, His Majesty King Charles III, following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. But it is administered by the New Zealand Defence Force, which has occupied the site from 1950 in conjunction with Hobson Air Base. 
And while it's no secret the mansion was used for Cold War meetings, including the Southeast Asia Treaty Organisation Conference in 1955, there's a lot more history to it. In fact, it is a Heritage New Zealand Category 1 listing, and it was built in 1902 by Rice Owen Clark II, who was the pioneering entrepreneurial English ceramicist. It was as a showpiece for the company's brick products. So that's for sale. It's just been listed in mid-October. The agents are Sue Noonan and Graham Lewis of Harcourts Hobsonville. It's a once-in-the-lifetime opportunity, they say, to acquire an outstanding technological and archaeological example of New Zealand history on approximately 1.9 hectares of prime land. Now, I haven't got a, uh, a possible purchase price there, but it is a 723-square-metre, two-storey bay villa. It has been empty for the last six years. But uh, you can find that listing online and have a bit of a look. There's a huge curved staircase in the middle with amazing uh, decorative features. There's 10 very large living rooms and bedrooms. And uh, there's uh, kitchens and bathrooms which have been gutted. But uh, yeah, certainly an opportunity there for someone. That's closing on November the 21st, 2022, if you wanted to look that one up. If you wanted something more down to earth, down in Dunedin, there's a 150-year-old flour mill, uh, which has been done up to to offer gorgeous New York loft-style living. This article from Stuff and Houses section by Kylie Clyde Nixon says you don't have to go all the way to US for the kind of living you only read about in novels. It's right here in Otago. Fiona Brown and her husband Colin had always dreamed of living in a converted warehouse apartment. Exposed beams, a mezzanine, open-plan living rooms with cavernous ceilings and the possibility of a rooftop garden. They wanted the whole urban lifestyle dream and even considered developing a building in their own hometown of Christchurch. But it wasn't until their daughters left home to study that the opportunity came to them, not in a crowded US metropolis, nor even in Auckland's bustling CBD, but in downtown Dunedin, only a 20-odd minute walk from the university campus. And it's all for under $2 million. So it'd been empty for a while when they bought it. And so the flour mill, which is the Crown Roller Mills building, for those who are local, was built in 1867 by an architect, James Hislop, made locally from the bricks in the Oamaru stone. This is a Category 1 listed building as well, which means you can't really change the, the outside as such, uh, but that's being uh, going to be uh, potentially, I'm just seeing if that one's up for sale, but it's uh, interesting to see what sort of buildings, yes, it is up for sale with Madeline White from Ray White Property and seeking inquiries over 1.185 million. So you could look that one up online as well um, in Dunedin. So uh, just bringing you a few few that are good to have a look at if you're interested in housing and had a bit of spare time. And this is one, this next one is one you should definitely look at if you're interested in housing or architecture. The title of this article says, Lottery Winners List Cornwell Eco Mansion Having Decided Not to Live There. So eight weeks ago, Uta Palmer and his wife Raki won a beautiful three million pound, that six million dollar house in Wadebridge, Cornwall, in an Omae's fundraising lottery for blood cancer, but they're not keeping it. The family did spend time at the country house and described locally as an architectural masterpiece. It has a sustainable green roof, that is, it's got grass growing on it. <laughs> well, sorry, I'm not doing it justice. You need to see the pictures, it's very impressive. But in a very short time, they decided they wouldn't keep it, so they're listing it for £4 million. Utah Palmer told the Daily Mail upkeep was a factor in their decision to list the house. Omaze had cameras on the family when they arrived at their home and presented them with the house keys. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, it was pretty cool for a $25 lottery ticket to win that. He said it's life-changing. 
and the family was taken to the house and given another £50,000 to help them resettle. Um, but now the water house, as it's known, um, is for sale, and it's 390 square metre four-bedroom home on 2.1 hectares overlooking Camel Estuary in Rock, Cornwall. It won the award as the best new home in Cornwall in 2020. Uh, the listing says light floods through the property in this open plan dream home through its many windows and doors leading to a terrace, a perfect place to sit, relax and enjoy the phenomenal views. The home benefits from a green roof, low energy source building materials and insulated with blown recycled newspaper. So there we are. Um, so it wasn't their cup of tea, but uh, they'll, hopefully they'll find something there. And finally, and I may have covered this in a previous episode, so just briefly, a reminder of the historic Auckland mansion that's up for grabs in a mortgagee sale. Um, so this is a St Mary's Bay mansion up in mortgagee sale. And this is described, and again, this is on stuff.co.nz, the article by Emma Clark Dow. It says, Described by real estate agents Philip Davis and Matt O'Brien as one of the country's most iconic properties, the six-bedroom, six-bathroom mansion has gone through a multi-year renovation with sleek, modern wing and added to the traditional heritage home. And this is something which was really uh, pretty amazing as well. Um, now, <laughs> there's an estimate that this place, and if you compare this to uh, the, the flour mill place in Dunedin, this place could be worth as much as $20 million, but you need to look that one up. So if you're in the high-end bracket of the real estate market, you could have a look at that. But let's now look at what's happening in the market itself. And this article by Miriam Bell uh, on Stuff Lifestyle says, First home buyers are back in the market as prices continue to tumble. Realestate.co.nz spokeswoman Vanessa Williams said it could be a signal the market's return to a pre-pandemic state. First home buyers are firmly back in the market and many have realised that buying is about securing a home rather than picking up a tradable asset, says the economist Tony Alexander. His latest survey of mortgage advisors showed a net positive 48% of them reported getting more inquiries from first home buyers this month. A score of zero would indicate respondents were evenly split on whether there were fewer buyers, whether more or fewer buyers were seeking advice. So the net positive 48 was the same as last month, and that's the highest since the survey began. It was also a third month in a row that advisors reported an increased number of first home buyers looking for help rather than a decline in numbers. Now, what does all of this mean? It shows that uh, while the, the strong confirmation that first home buyers are coming back into the market to take advantage of prices becoming more affordable. Uh, not quite the same as been said for investors just yet, but maybe that might happen should prices come down a little bit more. So there's been a decline in house prices largely nationally over the course of this year, and that's one reason that there's a change, of course, and more first home buyers coming into the market. And that follows on to this article from Brianna McIlrath on stuff.co.nz, which talks about the market. It says, house sellers drop expectations for six consecutive months for the first time on record, according to TradeMe. So as these prices are coming down and first-home buyers are, are reappearing. So the national average asking price for a property has dropped for six consecutive months for the first time on record, according to latest TradeMe property price index. Sales director Gavin Lloyd said the national average asking price last month was 896200 And when compared to the month prior, that marks a drop of $3,000 and puts New Zealand's average property price at its lowest since October 2021. 
that goes into some of the, uh, the minutia about it <laughs> and which regions have, have fallen and that sort of thing. Um, and really it's just a sign that I guess things are – people are becoming more realistic in their expectations for selling and this is uh, – and so it's going to be interesting because we've got that drop happening plus the increase in inquiries from the, from the first home buyers which should be a perfect storm for actually – getting the market activity up again. Another factor that's affecting the ability of for first-home buyers is in this article by Jared and Can on stuff.co.nz. It says, price falls are outstripping the interest rate hikes to make homes more affordable. Yes, we've all noticed how much the interest rates have been going up lately, and I will talk more about that later in the show. But effectively, it's getting easier for first-home buyers to get on the property ladder than what it has been, with the speed at which prices are falling outweighing the added cost by rising interest rates. So since the start of the year, the median price paid for first-home has fallen $81,000 to hit $699,000 in September, according to CoreLogic data. Stuff's housing affordability dashboard showed the average time a standard household would take to save a deposit had fallen by nine months since January, Although at 248 weeks, it's still pretty crazy high. So despite the interest rates going up, uh, which was um, in January, they were about 3.57 for a one-year rate, now they're 5.2, and they could be going up uh, well over 7 before too long. But it says despite interest rates still going up, the speed at which the house prices were falling had tipped to balance and bring rate payments down. The average fortnightly repayment a household could expect to pay on their first home post-purchase dropped from $1,480 in July to $1,387 in September, or this figure was still above January when the average first home buyer could expect to pay $1,305. So it's interesting to see what's happening there in the stats as well. Just a few few changes happening in the market, just make it a little bit easier. And this again follows on to more data through TradeMe. Uh, and this is an article that says most people think now is a good time to buy a house, Trade Me says. CoreLogic head of research, uh, Nick Goodall, has explained how house price falls are making the market more affordable for first home buyers. We talked about that. But also a survey from Trade Me says that nearly two thirds of New Zealanders think that now is a good time to buy a house. This time last year, prices were still escalating as the market approached its peak and home buying sentiment was at record lows. But the market had changed, with prices now down 12.6% nationally from the November peak of an average of 811 in September, according to the Real Estate Institute's House Price Index. More homes were listed for sale, while the fear of missing out was gone from the market, the competition had reduced. And this has largely been created by uh, roadblocks that have been put in pay- place to many buyers by the government. We have noticed, though, and I've noticed in my travels around uh, Manawatu Wanganui, uh, that we are getting more people at open homes, more people looking and returning to the market, which means that uh, the thoughts are out there that it might still be a good time to buy now, but... Uh, may be harder again before too long. So the, going back to the stats, Trade Me Property Sales Director Gavin Lloyd said 64% of respondents believed it was now a good time to buy a house. 19% said they thought it was a bad time. And 17% were unsure. The survey results also showed that 49% thought prices would decrease over the year and just 10% expected them to increase the rest that it wouldn't change. 
In terms of what's causing people to not buy, well, respondents pointed to rising interest rates, a lack of suitable properties on the market, and house prices falling as the three biggest concerns preventing them from purchasing. It's a really difficult balance because prices drop and drop and drop and drop until the market gets busy again, and then they rise, of course, due to demand. How far do you let it drop? And... Uh, we've actually gone through this rather prolonged period of a couple of years where the prices were going up like crazy and people were waiting to buy, thinking, well, let's wait for it to drop, and that drop didn't come. What's happening at the moment is it has dropped, just from where it has been, of course, and it's just a case of trying to figure out, is now the time? Again, uh, 64% of people are saying, yes, they think now is a good time. Alongside this, our latest property figures uh, showed a huge jump in the number of properties for sale nationwide. This is uh, according to Trade Me Property Sales Director Gavin Lloyd. Uh, the number was up by 67% in September when compared with last year. So the biggest issue, as I mentioned, is the rising interest rates, and that is continuing on. And that uh, leads to this article by Tom Puller-Strecker on Stuff Business. It says... Warning for borrowers after annual inflation almost unchanged at 7.2%. Banks have begun bracing borrowers for a possible triple hike in the official cash rate to 4.25 next month after StatsNZ reported the annual inflation had barely budged. Prices rose 2.2% in the September quarter, taking the annual inflation to 7.2%, which was only just under the 7.3% annual rate reported after the end of the June quarter. The Reserve Bank, and probably the government, had expected a much larger drop in annual inflation to 6.4%, and no bank economists had been expecting inflation to top 7% this time. But Stats NZ reported the steep rises in the price of housing, construction, international airfares and vegetables had largely offset the relief provided by falling petrol prices. The Consumer Price Index, the CPI, records changes in the price of hundreds in goods and services um, and that is something which is is related uh, to this, of course. ASB responded by saying it expected the Reserve Bank to raise the official cash rate by 75 basis points to 4.25 next month and now predicts the OCR will reach 5.25% next year. So we'll just have to wait and see uh, where that goes. Will the banks pass that on onto higher interest rates? I would certainly expect so. And so does Rob Stock in this article by uh, instuff.co.nz business. He said, His title, Here is Why the Inflation Figure is Bad News for Home Loan Borrowers. The overall inflation rate um, has been going up, but the fixed-term loan interest rate increases are on the cards in the next few days following news that inflation remains stubbornly high. And in fact, we've seen some banks starting to raise it already. These increases that are predicted are, um, as I just mentioned, the, 0.7, uh, the 75 basis points by the 0.5 and 0.5. says that uh, Westpac Chief Economist Michael Gordon said households still had strong balance sheets. So mortgage rates have been rising for some time. An increasing number of borrowers are now rolling off the very low fixed rates that were on offer through the pandemic. I, I know the feeling, and it's not pretty. However, the drag from those rate increases has not been as stark as we might have expected. Indeed, we are still seeing large numbers of households running ahead on their mortgage payments. The Banks Association said at the end of June that just under 46% of people with home loans were ahead of their scheduled repayments. 
Credit Reporting Bureau Centric said in September just one household in every 100 was behind on repayments, but there was little sign of mortgage stress. So big banks' floating home rates have uh, ranging now uh, 7 to 7.35%. A rise of 75 basis points could take some above 8%. So these changes are, are happening quickly. Um, and there's probably been inquiries to mortgage brokers and to banks to say should they fix fix now for a period of time. Um, for example, ANZ, that's just announced large increases to its uh, fixed-term mortgage rates, according to Rob Stock, the reporter, says the bank will increase its standard one-year mortgage rate by 54 basis points from 6.05 to 6.59 and its two-year fixed-term mortgage rate by 44 basis points from 6.35 to 6.79. So that's where um, they have, you know, various specials and that sort of thing. But, you know, it just seems to be a continuation. Hopefully the inflation can um, start to come down. We'll see how that goes. And uh, regardless, um, the banks will always protect their profit margins. And um, so they tend to uh, peg things up as well. We're now moving across to matters that are happening with uh, rental properties. I was looking recently at the uh, some information and it was summarised in this article uh, on interest.co.nz that said the supply of rental housing just hit a record for September while asking rents appear weak overall. So it's very much a generalisation that the rental market appears particularly weak in Auckland with rental listings on Trade Me Up 51% compared to last year and Wellington not far behind. So while this article is about rents dropping and and going down, uh, it's important to know that our region, Manawatu, is not really affected. We've got quite a lot going on here. Um, The increase in the last 12 months from September 2021 to September 22 in Manawatu, Wanganui, has been 8.7%. So for every $100 of rent, that's $8.70. So if it was $400 previously, uh, you would be up about another uh, $35 a week. So that's where rents have gone up uh, considerably um, in the areas. There's still not still it's not exactly a shortage of properties in the month or two, but there's a shortage of nice properties, <laughs> and um, and so that's really just a matter of trying to provide those ones. Now, away from nice properties, in terms of the nasty properties, this article is pretty horrible, and it says, Tenants harrowing evidence of bloody mattresses, needles, and a rat room. Auckland landlord Mouldy Order has been ordered to pay $201,000 after harrowing evidence was given to the Tenancy Tribunal of unsafe, filthy, and crowded, unconsented rental properties. How do people get away with this? Well, obviously they don't, but uh, how do they think they can get away with it? At one property in the Auckland suburb of Sandringham, there were mattresses with bloodstains from previous tenants, needles and other drug paraphernalia among piles of rubbish and broken windows. One unoccupied room was blocked off by towels and referred to as the rat room. The Tenancy Compliance and Investigations team from Ministry of Business, Employment and Innovation successfully took three cases to the Tenancy Tribunal on behalf of 18 tenants across five properties managed by Māori Order Limited. Māori Order has appealed two of the decisions which will be heard at the Auckland District Court, but all tenancies had instances of bonds not being lodged, 
unlawful clauses in tenancy agreements and other breaches of the Residential Tenancies Act following an investigation by the TCIT, said Brett Wilson, the team's national manager. At a property in Glen Eden, there was rubbish inside and out, missing locks, a rat infestation, handles missing off the kitchen taps, blocked sinks, no smoke alarms and an exposed septic tank that was accessible to children. Gee, oh dear, like I say, it's this horrible reading. The property was described as essentially unlivable by the tribunal adjudicator and tenants preferred to move to emergency accommodation rather than stay there. At the Sandringham property, the tenants and their, fa- and their children were living on the floor in a communal thoroughfare after Māori order failed to repair a burst pipe in their unit. The tribunal adjudicator ordered a full refund of the rent they had paid. The property also did not comply with fire safety requirements, Foreign Emergency New Zealand found. Another property in the suburb of Mount Albert was a two-storied home with five bedrooms upstairs, a self-contained two-bedroom flat downstairs and a garage which was unlawfully turned into four cramped bed sits where up to six people were living. Smells at the property range from musty through to pungent and offensive and Auckland Council Senior Project Specialist told the team there were no working smoke alarms, no fire or emergency evacuation scheme, no illuminated exit signs, no emergency lighting or backup system. All the rooms that inspectors could access were poorly lit and unventilated. The tribunal also found that Māori Order failed to lodge bonds on 16 occasions and the company was ordered to refund $5,400 in bonds to three tenants and lodge over $22,000 worth of bonds with the Ministry or MB's bond centre for 14 tenants. Now, this is exactly why the property management industry needs to be regulated to get cowboys and like this out of it. I mean, there's no way they should be doing this sort of thing. Māori Order unsuccessfully claimed its tenancy agreements required security deposits that were not bonds. Uh, of course, it's illegal. The tribunal found Māori Order committed unlawful acts for each failure to lodge a bond. And if you are a landlord and you're holding on to a bond, lodge it because it is unlawful not to. Termination clauses and fixed cleaning fees and their rental agreements were also unlawful. Uh, and the tribunal satisfied that Māori Order Limited were aware of the premises' non-compliance. They just seemed to not care. The TCIT filed three applications. And after a two-day hearing in early August, they ordered to pay $187,750 in exemplary damages. Now that goes to the tenants. And $13,813 in compensation. The owner of the two properties, Ji Shen, was jointly liable for some of the exemplary damages. So Māori Order was found to have committed the multiple breaches of Residential Tenancies Act, uh, failing to comply with building health and safety requirements, providing working smoke alarms, lodging bonds, or providing required statements including written tenancy agreement. A six-year restraining order meant that if Māori Order and Shen would be prosecuted in district court if they rented out properties that did not comply with the Act, the most concerning element of the cases was that, as the orders highlighted, there have been several previous cases been brought against Māori order through the tribunal, all listing similar breaches. Now, I'll just spell that out for you because my pronunciation is not very good. It's Māori spelled M-A-U-R-I, order, O-R-E. They say there's no justification for the behaviour and ongoing non-compliance demonstrated by Māori order, and their Previous experience at the tribunal, the company should have known better. Given the number of breaches found by TCIT, it showed a massive failing in the company's business operations and a seemingly willful lack of understanding of their obligations. Now, the 
it sounds terrible, terrible indeed. And these do make the media, of course, because they're the worst examples of people doing the worst things possible. But I thought I'd bring that one to you because there's so many breaches in there uh, that if you're listening and your property, if your landlord and your property is not up to scratch, or if your tenant is not up to scratch, you can take action, and it can be well worth doing so. So I'll leave you on that note. You've been listening to Property Matters here on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo irarangi o na tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson and you can find Property Matters wherever you can find all good podcasts. Thank you for listening. We'll catch up with you in a week's time. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.